Welcome to As Told Here, conversations and stories shared in the public interest in Studio W at WPAA-TV and Community Media Center. As Told Here brings community media to where you are. Welcome to Midlife Matters, where we celebrate women's wisdom and wit. I'm Georgianne Lucier, your host, and I'm delighted to introduce today's guest, Tammy Sneed, the Director of Gender Responsive Adolescent Services with the Department of Children and Families, State of Connecticut, who will shed light on sex trafficking with children. Thank you so much, Tammy, for being here with us. My pleasure. This is a complex, critical topic. To start, what are some of the laws that govern sex trafficking with children? There's two sets of laws that we look at. One is the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. We call that the TVPA, and that's the federal legislation. And in very short summary, it tells us that adults and children can be victims of both sex and labor trafficking, mm-hmm. and it provides a, you know, a number of kind of standards to meet those thresholds. Okay. In Connecticut, we have legislation that very clearly articulates if a child's under the age of 18, he or she cannot be charged as a prostitute. They are a victim of child trafficking. So that was a really important step for us a couple of years ago, because prior to that, we were doing under 16. Now we're looking at children under the age of 18. When you look at all the research, even young um, adults into Mm -hmm. their late teens and early 20s, they too, they're still developing and still can Mm -hmm. get into circumstances that are not good for them. You're saying there's no criminality associated with individuals under the age of 18. Right. And why is the language you so importance we don't use the term prostitutes it's victim right why is that so important because it helps us as a community as a society to realize that these kids are truly victims when we use the word prostitute we're blaming that child Mm -hmm. and sometimes we're using the word prostitute with adults that are also victims and that's not accurate Mm -hmm. Um, and there's some interesting data that tells us that 70 percent of adults in the life were victims as children So it really puts us in a different um, playing field when we're working with kids, when we're not using language that labels them, that accuses them of being the perpetrator of anything, Mm -hmm. because they're not. We're talking about adults buying sex from kids. Very simple. And that's against the law. Even in terms of what term we use for the violators, right? Correct. We're trying to get away from the word pimp. Mm -hmm. Uh, kids know that term so we will still often use that when Mm -hmm. we're connecting to children particularly law enforcement connecting to children but we we try to use trafficker or exploiter um, only because when you look at modern music when you look at tv shows pimps tend to be idolized and you'll have kids in school saying i'm going to be a pimp when i grow up Mm -hmm. Um, there's books on how to be a pimp so we really again wanted to change our focus and realize that these individuals, they're trafficking our young people, they are victimizing our young people, and you know, minimizing what they're doing doesn't help the young people or society in general. Sure. Uh, also, very similar, we don't use the word John. So mm-hmm. when we're talking about the buyers, we're talking about a buyer, we're talking about a child molester, some law enforcement is using child rapists. Mm-hmm. So that is the reality. We're not talking, you know, you and I can sit here for the next two weeks and talk about adult prostitution. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about children being bought for sex. 
And I learned that sex trafficking is the second highest money-making crime in our country. It's now second in line in regards to criminal industries. The reason for that, uh, it surpassed weapons, is because these kids are sold over and over and over again mm -hmm. per night. So we've had kids with quotas of three to five buyers per night up to 20, 25 buyers per night. Americans will go overseas to buy sex, mm -hmm. but the majority of them are buying it right here in the United States. And our number of victims regarding sex trafficking is extremely high in the United States. One statistic that stuck with me is the United States kind of owns 25% of the global market. Is that accurate? We actually, in regards to domestic minor sex trafficking, we own a much larger piece okay. of that market. So that, that truly is the reality here. And that's hard for people to understand. Mm -hmm. I had one young person, we had to do some data for the court. Her experience with her trafficker, we estimated that she had to sleep with 6,300 buyers in less than a year. Mm -hmm. So that's what these young people are experiencing. And some other statistics around the number of children living at home, for example, which would surprise, I think, a lot of our viewers. Right. I'm so glad you brought that up. The vast majority, we're looking well over 60% of the kids that are being victimized in our state are living at home at time of victimization. That does not mean the parent, guardian, or entrusted caregiver is the actual perpetrator. Mm -hmm. But what it means is that's where that child resides. And at some point, that child is being victimized by a trafficking. Uh, I'll give you an example. We had a young lady that um, if she missed second period in school, mm -hmm. the school would call mom. Mom would be like, can't miss school, you're grounded, would take care of it. So she joined an after-school program. Uh, every, and they didn't have kind of the same reporting mechanism. Mm -hmm. So basically, if she missed her after-school program, nobody ever notified mom. Mm -hmm. Well, this kid was picked up by her trafficker after school every day. She'd be victimized for 90 minutes and then brought back in time for the late bus. So these are kids that we're seeing in our homes that are still doing some family things with us that are still often going to school mm -hmm. being victimized and we have no idea she went to my school or a little closer so we could finally meet take it out dinner in an hour don't spend too long on the phone okay i know you've been waiting for this for a while I wanted to give you something special. Often, um, if they do join what you're referring to as the life mm -hmm. on the streets or even when they're in school, it's a short lifespan. It really is. What both children and adults go through as victims of trafficking, both sex mm -hmm. and labor, is it's beyond any of our imaginations. Mm -hmm. it's, it's simply horrible. But many of the individuals that end up in the life end up um, at some point either committing suicide, drug overdose, murdered. Um, something horrible usually happens after that seven-year period. Okay. So it's really important that during that time prior, we do everything we can to engage that young person mm -hmm. or adult so they can see a way out mm -hmm. and kind of hang in there with them because they don't immediately just get out. You mentioned the sevens. Um, the average number of times kids will go back to the life is seven times. So it's really a journey for them, for both kids and adults trying to get out of the life. Their ability to really comprehend the situation that they're in is limited. Mm -hmm. And maybe they feel there's no return. 
there's there's a number of issues here. If if we're talking about vulnerable kids, mm-hmm. kids that had prior histories of abuse and neglect, lots of times what they've already been through has been horrific, and this is just one more adult abusing them, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, they it becomes normalized. But we've had kids without any of those risk factors, and they're often lured in by a boyfriend figure mm-hmm. or um, an adult. A young adult female that's trying to be their friends. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're being threatened. So we have a lot of traffickers that like to threaten the kids. We had one trafficker that would say, if you don't do this, I know you have an eight-year-old little sister. I know her bus arrives at 341 every day at such and such an address. So there's lots of that fear. Um, they're told that what they're doing is wrong, not what he's doing, he or she's doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. So they're afraid of law enforcement. It's so complicated, but there's many factors. The session I went to was for hospital personnel with the idea to try to help them recognize red flags and be alert to children that are being trafficked because the statistics look like almost 90% at some point of these children will be seen by a healthcare professional. Absolutely. Whether we're talking about kids that are out on the streets, Mm -hmm. away from home that are being victimized, Often something serious will happen to them and they will end up in an emergency room at some point, Mm -hmm. as well as kids that are living at home, you know, seeing their pediatricians, um, having some medical diagnosis that doesn't match with who we believe that kid to be. Mm -hmm. So many, many times there's opportunities for medical folks to intervene as long as they have that lens. You know, they need to know what they're looking for and how to ask and how to talk to the kid Mm -hmm. and adults. So that's really important. Yeah. And so these red flags and risk factors, if you could talk about that a little bit. Sure. So the risk factors, bullying in school, disconnection from their community, ejection from their community. We had a a transgender female. She was 16 years old. She identified as male. Family kicked her out. She wasn't connected to DCF. Nobody called law enforcement. All right. So her risk factors continued to climb. And another girl um, told her that she knew how she could make some money and ended up posting her on Backpage, mm-hmm. a social media site. Kids that are disconnected from family, disconnected from peers, are being bullied in school, peer pressure, they're super, so super high risk. Mm-hmm. But other risk factors can just be in an adolescent. All right, we've had kids without any of the typical extreme risk factors become victims, and it usually happens because of their peer group. Um, unfortunately, there are kids out there that have normalized this. Mm -hmm. So until we educate kids, uh, we're going to continue to see that happen on their level as well. Those are the risk factors. When Mm -hmm. we're talking about red flags, I tell parents, think about what your child has. Is he or she coming home with things that your family can't afford, that you know she or he cannot afford? With common sense, you know that somebody wouldn't give it to them. I mean, we had one mom tell us that her, her daughter told us that, um, they gave her that new $1,100 cell phone and the, these, you know, beautiful clothing, um, and the mom just gave it to her. Um, so thinking about do they have things that you know doesn't make any sense for mm-hmm. them? Do they have injuries they can't explain? Do they have tattoos or branding that they don't want to talk about that looks concerning or doesn't make sense that may match other peers that they're hanging around? Those could be indicators of trafficking. Kids that um, are losing weight, kids that look exhausted, kids that are withdrawn, 
maybe getting in some legal trouble and maybe increasing their use of substances, whether we're talking alcohol or drugs, mm -hmm. um, those kind of things that would actually help numb kind of what they're experiencing. On our heart website, we have a whole list of red flags that mm -hmm. we put up there for the community. Um, and it's not just about one of those. You know, right. if your kid comes home with a thousand dollar cell phone and truly the mom said she can have it because there was a buy one, get one, that's a different story. Right. But really it's about paying attention to what could be trafficking and not dismissing it until you really look at it. Mm -hmm. Statistics, even in Connecticut, um, are startling in terms of areas of central access. I mean, we're here in Wallingford, Connecticut, which is central. Mm -hmm. Airports, mm -hmm. bus stations. Um, also, you do some education and outreach to places that might be um, potential risk uh, increased risks such as like motels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that. We have an incredible heart team. It stands for Human Anti-Trafficking Response Team. Mm -hmm. And on that team, we have service providers, community members, mental health providers, law enforcement, and they're all very focused on educating our state. We have a number of curricula Mm -hmm. that we have developed. We have a curricula for law enforcement. We have one for schools, one for hospitals, one for hotels. We have about 200 trainers across the state of Connecticut. Oh, okay. We're constantly doing training and education. And truly, the more we do that, the more we are getting referrals. Um, we uh, hit 212 referrals in 2017. Mm -hmm. And we just finalized our numbers for 2018, and it's 210. So okay. we're staying just above 200 mm -hmm. um, at this point. And those are unique referrals. So if somebody was referred in 2010 and now she is also involved in trafficking, mm -hmm. we're not duplicating her numbers. These are unique individuals that we're reporting on. And boys are also mm -hmm. victims. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you uh, mentioned that. They are. And I'm a little concerned about Connecticut. We are not identifying the boys um, like we should be. So mm -hmm. nationally, the average number of male victims tends to hover around 30%. In 2018, with our 210 data, we had 27 boys identified, and that was the highest year so far. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing the numbers go up, but it's still too low. That's not 30%. Mm -hmm. All right, we're still hovering. That's probably less than 15%. So, you know, the numbers are not getting where they need to be. We have found when we do our training on understanding boys, we get referrals. People start to understand what to look for. Mm -hmm. We deal with some of the societal challenges to identify male victims. And we start to see the, the, the boys identified. What concerns me out of all our curriculums and the thousands of people we're training every year that is our least requested training in the state of Connecticut. Mm. So a lot, and it is, when we get into the training itself, we talk about society and kind of the challenge for boys to be able to come forward, the challenge for men to come forward in mm -hmm. regards to sexual assault and child trafficking. And there's also some statistics around groups, I believe. So the Asian group, for example, is not showing the same percentage in their Maybe some reasons why that is, and people of color. We, we watch our data very closely mm -hmm. every year. Um, our kids of color are absolutely the highest number of young people we've identified thus far, which is greatly concerning. Um, our Caucasian population has ticked up over the years mm -hmm. on and off, but we still have very few um, young people that are Asian and or Native American identified. And we believe it's 
because we're not connected to their community. Okay. Um, even when I look, I oversee all of our multidisciplinary teams in the state. And when we look at kids that are just being reported as sexually abused, mm-hmm. not with the dynamic of trafficking, the number of male victims is extremely low. And the numbers of those particular populations reporting is very, very low. I mean, I would be thrilled if That's they're doing something right. and they're really... But, I, I doubt that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're watching our data and we're watching national data help guide us and we're in, encouraging other communities to get involved. You recently received a U.S. Attorney's Award for Outstanding Partnership and boy, talking about it takes a village, mm-hmm. right? Could you describe some of the groups you work with, what services, how they overlap, maybe sure. challenges and successes? I mean, overall, it's been successful. Mm-hmm. It truly is a partnership. Not one of us can do this on our, on our own. We really can't. And our focus, ten, DCF's focus tends to be on the child. Um, law enforcement tends to be on the law enforcement piece. Our state's attorney's office, they have a task force that partners with the state's attorney, FBI, Homeland Security, and they are so committed to these cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a direct partnership. When we get a referral of a young person that's a possible victim, we share that information directly with them. And not, they do not go after the kids. They have no interest in looking at any type of criminal mm-hmm. history with the child. They want to know, is this a case where they can actually take and hopefully end up prosecuting the traffickers? Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been phenomenal with that. But not just them. We have Love 146, which is a key provider in the state of Connecticut. They do remarkable services for both our high-risk kids as well as our kids that have been um, confirmed as victims of trafficking. Mm-hmm. They do um, services with the young people in their homes, in their communities. They help the kids reenter school. Just amazing, amazing work. Just by working with our company, it's a 20% increase within the next five years. the next five years. That's, it's a win-win situation for everyone. To the untrained eye, it's almost never obvious, but it is happening around you. And every child is vulnerable, even yours. Even me. okay for me to have a conversation with you. Really try to hear what I'm saying. Tell me that nothing I say will make you love me less. Don't assume I already know that. And realize it might take some time for me to believe it. Learn about my relationships. Who am I hanging out with? Who am I talking to online? Who do I have a crush on? I want you to care. And help me tell the difference between what's fun and what's sketchy. And if I don't answer, don't take it personally, but don't give up either. And in the meantime, help me connect with other safe people. If I don't know you care, if you don't show you're interested, someone else might. And then, honestly, this is kind of unique for us, but it's come a long way as we work with the underground. They are a faith-based initiative. Okay. And I think they're 
I can't quote, but I think they're well over 120 churches strong right now. I think it's even higher than mm -hmm. that. They're a remarkable support. They're trained in our curriculums. So they're out educating the community mm -hmm. on a very regular basis. They're going to the hotels to tell them you should be having posters up in your hotel about trafficking, mm -hmm. which is a law. They do fundraising. So we do have resources we give to kids. Um, we have a survivor backpack, mm -hmm. and there's a number of resources in that backpack. They fundraise all the expenses for those backpacks. We have hotline cards for our bracelets we give to kids, our brochures that we're able to get to the community. They mm -hmm. fund all of that for us. Wow, that's so wonderful. It, it's just, you know, it's like everybody coming together mm -hmm. and knowing that we all have a piece um, and we don't be, we're not territorial. It's yeah. like, how can we work together? Wonderful. Well, that's refreshing, mm -hmm. right? Very, that doesn't very, always happen. I love it. <laughs> Kids that are in child welfare, if they're missing, they're on our radar. We're looking for them, but there's lots of kids that run away from home and aren't connected to child welfare. Police are not being called because that child took off. There's some relief that that child took off for a period of time. And then the realities of trafficking, within 48 hours of a child running away, one in three of them are approached by a trafficker. Mm -hmm. And then out of that number in 2017, one out of seven of those kids were pulled into the life. Okay. So a lot of it's about paying attention to what's going on in our community. Mm -hmm. if, if our neighbor, if our sister, if our cousin is struggling with their teen or their younger child, we have to get involved. We don't mm -hmm. have to, you know you know, uh, be bossy and take right. over, but we have to help and mm -hmm. we have to pay attention to what's going on and keeping those risk factors and those red flags in mind. You'd hear the story of, you know, a girl who just leaves home and the mom's a little relieved, figuring she's staying with a friend's family or whatever for a couple of days. And then the girl is at such risk. Absolutely. That happens all the time. Mm -hmm. We even have kids that are just on social media. And at some point, and every kid has done it, on social media, they'll say, you know, my mom just doesn't get it. Right. I'm tired of her. There's somebody on the other end of that social media that is watching. Mm -hmm. And when they get an opportunity to say, hey, I'm sorry you're going through that, and I've been through it too, they connect to those kids so quickly. And those yeah. kids truly believe that that person cares. Mm -hmm. uh, they have this false sense. There's, um, there's a great clip that we use when we train kids that shows kind of a conversation via the internet with a guy that she's fallen in love with. Mm -hmm. um, and by the end of it, the camera starts to pull away. He's now he's blackmailing her, but starts to pull away and you see a much older man mm -hmm. in the background. So kids have to be educated. They have that false sense of security. Mm -hmm. They have a false sense of confidence when there's not somebody in front of them. So they say and do things they normally wouldn't do. Um, so it's balancing it. You know, all, the world that we live in today um, and ensuring we still stay connected. One child at a time, right. perhaps. One right. victim at a time. Yeah. And one adult at a time. Yes. If our adults in our world are seeing um, child trafficking as something that's okay to do, mm -hmm. we have a really big issue. Some of the data t suggests that there's well over a million buyers having sex with kids every given night. Mm -hmm. So that's the reality. We can do lots of good things with kids, but if we as society, and like you said, unless you're kind of in our network, mm -hmm. sometimes the information is not out there like we really need it to be. And that's the challenge is it's not just protecting the kids. It's mm -hmm. really changing the mindset of society. How they're overall. viewed. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not blamed. Right. Right. Absolutely. These are children.
Absolutely. Yeah. When you're doing this kind of work and you're seeing case after case of tragedy, mm -hmm. it's really good to be able to go home and, you know, see, see the good. Okay. Thank you so much, Tammy. This has been very informative and best wishes with all your future endeavors and really Thank appreciate you. you coming on. Thank you for having us. Oh, I, I think it's really important that you're getting our word, mm -hmm. you know, out throughout the state to folks that aren't getting it typically in training. So Wonderful. I so appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks to our local producers and Team Hercules for production support. As told here, conversations and stories shared in the public interest in Studio W at WPAA-TV and Community Media Center. As Told Here brings community media to where you are.